This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Krim. I'm a small animal veterinarian and crazy cat lover. So whenever I see headlines that talk about cats, it raises my ears, I guess, um, and I want to share them. And today I have discovered an article or a study called Feline Faces. So I invited one of the researchers to come on to Nine Lives and talk with me a little bit about what she learned and how she learned it about feline faces and how cats use their faces to communicate. So we'll be right back with Britt Lorkwitz in just a moment. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. So, Dr. Florkowitz, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing great. How about you? Excellent. Meowvulous. <laughs> yeah. So, I ran across your study and I found it fascinating and it made me want to learn more about you and all the things that you have done. So, can you tell my listeners a little bit about you? So, I am a assistant professor of psychology at Lyon College, which is a small liberal arts college located in Batesville, Arkansas. If I had to pick categories that my research falls under, I would choose comparative and evolutionary psychology. So comparative psychologists were interested in comparing and contrasting behaviors across species to see which ones are widespread and which ones are unique. And also evolutionary psychology, we're interested in the big picture why question. So why are animals communicating in this way, shape, or form? So most of my work is typically with non-human primates, but also, as you can tell, I, I do a little bit of work with dogs and cats as well. Well, that's perfect because here <laughs> you are with us. So I guess it's fair to say that you're passionate about animals and evolutionary psychology. So that's wonderful because I think that the more we can learn about cats as a nonverbal friend that lives in our home, the better friend it makes us. So you have some experience using certain coding systems and things to look at facial forms on cats, correct? Yes. So I make use of something called facial action coding systems or FACS for short. 
So the facts were initially created in the late 90s, early 2000s by a researcher named Paul Ekman. He was initially interested in creating these systems to study human expression, but since then they've been expanded to include other species. So the way that facts work is that it's training its users to identify subtle and overt facial muscle movements. And it's the combination of those muscle movements that creates a facial expression. So the great thing about this system is that you're documenting all of these different facial muscle movements and we're putting equal emphasis on each of them. And we're able to discern the more subtle morphological differences in each expression using this system. So what you end up getting is a list of facial muscle movements, but also combinations that we can use to study you know, communication. We can see how these different combinations are being produced in different contexts. We can see how they're being produced under different emotion states with different individuals and so forth. So now the great thing about facts is that it is available for everyone to use, but it does require some time to become certified. So what you end up doing is you learn through the system about the anatomy and physiology of the face, and then you'll take a test that assesses your ability to identify these subtle and overt facial muscle movements. And once you get that certification, you're able to use that for a wide variety of purposes. I use it for research, but also I know that other places use facts for different reasons. So for example, Pixar and other animation studios, they sometimes use facts to make their faces of animals and humans look more realistic. So there's lots of different applications for the facts. I love it. So as veterinarians, we use facial expressions to gauge pain. And I know that, um, I know that you know that, but you wanted to take <laughs> it a step further. So you came up with this idea. And so tell me a little bit about how that all came to pass. Yeah. So at the time when we started brainstorming the study, I was finishing up my PhD at UCLA and I met Lauren Scott, who is an undergraduate student who was finishing up her degree in anthropology and evolutionary medicine. So she came up to me and she was very interested in getting hands-on research experience with animals, but also she was very curious about facial expressions. Now, at the time, I was doing a lot of work with chimpanzees and also with certain monkey species and gibbons. And I had colleagues in the UK that were studying dog facial expressions. So I knew we had those two or a couple of species covered, but there wasn't a lot at the time that was being published on cats or horses using facts methodologies. So I asked her which one she wanted to study to help kind of address the gap in the literature. And she chose cats, which was great. Uh, it was a lot of fun for both of us. But we decided to focus more specifically on how cats produce facial expressions to other cats, because in the very sparse literature that was out there, we noticed that most of it was focused on how cats interact with humans, which is great because we do share, you know, this very deep history through domestication with cats over 10,000 years. But we also know for a fact that cats are social. They do live in social groups like colonies. They do live in multi-cat households and cat cafes. So we wanted to address that gap in the literature by focusing more exclusively on cat-cat social interactions and the kinds of facial expressions they produce. So one of our key predictions was that, well, cats compared to their wild cat counterparts, they're very social, they're very tolerant of other cats. So we knew that they were going to produce affiliative facial expressions. And the previous studies at that point were arguing that, well, you know, cats aren't very expressive, but when they are expressive, they're mostly doing these in non-affiliative situations. So think about like fighting, aggression, and so forth. But we knew that because 
you know, they're more socially tolerant because they're more affiliated with one another in these interactions, they're probably using facial expressions to navigate these both non-affiliative and affiliative interactions. So that was one of our focuses for the study is seeing, well, what kinds of facial expressions are produced in non-affiliative contexts and how do they differ from the affiliative ones that they're producing towards other cats? So you wanted to look at maybe cats that are not friends or not in the same social group. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. So cats that are living in the same, you know, region, and in this case, in the same cat cafe, but maybe have differing social relationships and social interactions and looking at how they're using those facial expressions to navigate those different relationships and interactions. So you briefly mentioned the cat cafe. So how did you get this? I mean, it sounds super fun, but how did you get all this together? Where'd you go? What'd you do? What did it take? Yeah. So when we were talking about doing this study, being able to study cat-cat interactions is sort of difficult insofar as typically when you go to humane societies and shelters, oftentimes cats are housed independently of one another, right? They're housed in their own little area away from other cats, away from other dogs and people. So we wanted to find a place where we were able to observe cats that had the opportunity to have these spontaneous natural social interactions with one another. And we needed a large sample size. We didn't want to focus on just one or two cats for our study. We wanted as many cats as humanly possible. So we were doing some research and we came across the Cat Cafe Lounge, which is located in Los Angeles, California, which was only like a 15 minute walk away from UCLA campus. So it was very perfect timing, perfect location. And it was just the best setup that we could possibly have for this study because they house up to 50 cats at a given time that are able to navigate and interact with one another freely and openly in this lounge area, this lounge space. So we reached out to the cat cafe and asked if they would be okay with us recording these cat interactions that were taking place. We kind of just set up in the corner. We would just uh, carefully observe cats as they're interacting with one another from the sidelines. And they were very happy to have us. And actually Lauren did some volunteer work while she was collecting the video footage for our study. Oh, that's awesome. So you recorded the cats interacting and you were just sort of the fly on the wall. What did you learn? I know you learned a lot of stuff, but (laughs) break it down for us. Yeah. So one of the key findings that a lot of people are interested in is the fact that cats can produce 276 morphologically distinct facial expressions when communicating with each other. We knew that cats were going to produce a variety of affiliative and non-affiliative facial expressions, but that's a pretty high number and it's probably shocking to non-cat owners. Now, cat owners, they probably see this number and think, oh yes, I kind of had a general sense, especially if you've had multiple cats in your house before that, there's a lot going on. But To be able to have the science to back that up and to have the actual number and the composition of these facial expressions is really useful for a wide variety of purposes. So that was the first key finding. The second key finding is the fact that out of those 276 facial expressions that we saw, uh, 126 of them, so about like 46% are produced for affiliative social interactions. And then it's around 102 or 37% for non-affiliative. So It kind of shows that cats can produce a wide variety of facial expressions, and it's oftentimes due to these affiliative interactions that they're having with one another. And these facial expressions have a very discrete function and form because that 126 affiliative expressions are exclusive for those friendly interactions. And then the 102 non-affiliative ones are exclusive for those 
less friendly interactions. So that was pretty great to see and is very useful for a wide variety of purposes. The last key finding, it was mentioned in our discussion section, but I think it's a great jumping off point for future studies, is the fact that cats produce facial expressions that are widespread throughout other species, other animals. So the one facial expression we saw evidence for is something called a play face. And as the name kind of implies, it's a facial expression that's produced during these playful interactions or encounters. Now, play among animals is fun, but it also can potentially become dangerous, especially during high intensity bouts of play where there's lots of rough and tumble and biting action. So from an evolutionary perspective, it's great to have a play face that can be used to modulate and signal, hey, I'm still willing to play. I want to change the type of play that we're doing and so forth. So what was great is that during these playful interactions, we saw evidence for play faces because cats are producing the same kinds of facial muscle movements as other animals during these playful encounters. And a play face typically entails drawing the corners of your lips backwards towards your ears, opening the mouth, parting the lips, and relaxing the jaw, and sometimes producing a vocalization like a laugh, for example, with humans, or a grunt. So it's really great to see that we can identify this play face among cats and potentially use this information to learn more about what kinds of play faces are cats producing and what kinds of play are they typically associated with. That is absolutely fascinating. And I see all kinds of uses for this, even in my world. So I want to take a quick break, but I want to come back and talk a little bit more about this and also how we as humans may be able to use this information to make our lives and our lives with our cats better. So we'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. So, Dr. Florkowitz and I have been discussing the feline faces study and all the fascinating things that she has uncovered through this study, but I kind of wanted to sort of bring it full circle and talk about how cats kind of compare to the other species, maybe the non-human primates with their facial expressions, because we know cats are complex. So did you learn anything specific to cats or did it all kind of apply? Yeah. So my field of comparative psychology, we're always making comparisons. We're always trying to look at the big picture. We're trying to find patterns of behavior. So what was interesting is that through these effects, we were able to get this number of morphologically distinct facial expressions, which was 276. 
Now, I've done work with other non-human primate species before, such as gibbons and chimpanzees. So I already had a number that was calculated for those species that you can make comparisons with for cats. So cats have 276 morphologically distinct facial expressions. Gibbons have 80 and chimpanzees have over 300. So what's fascinating is that cats are producing more morphologically distinct facial expressions than gibbons and are somewhat comparable to chimpanzees. So this is great because we can kind of look at the reason why this might be the case and better understand some of the social and environmental factors that influence facial expression repertoire sizes. So for cats, again, you know, cats have been subject to domestication for over 10,000 years. And through that process of domestication, cats are becoming more socially tolerant, not only of humans, but to other cats. So chances are you're seeing a greater increase in these social interactions, but greater social flexibility because cats can live by themselves in households, but also can live in colonies as well. So as we see social complexities increasing for cats, they're probably acquiring a facial expression repertoire that helps them navigate those different kinds of social interactions. Now, chimpanzees, to compare this to, Chimps live in very large social groups that exhibit something called fission-fusion dynamics, where they kind of come together at night, and then during the day, they fission off into smaller groupings. And they manage all kinds of relationships with, you know, friends, family, coalition partners, and so forth. So they have a very big facial expression repertoire to manage all these different kinds of social relationships within this very large group. And now we're seeing with cats, because of domestication, their social flexibility is being modified and their social groupings are being modified so that now they have also a pretty decent sized facial expression repertoire. So that's a really fascinating takeaway from our current study and really helps to contextualize some of these other processes that we've been studying in my lab. So how do human beings who communicate verbally compare? Do we, do we use our faces as much as our cats? So that's a great question. One of the things we have to consider is that with the fact systems, they've been used for human research for quite some time since their uh, conception in the late 90s, early 2000s. But a lot of the studies tend to report on either a small subset of context or emotions, or they tend to report on just the presence or absence of certain kinds of facial muscle movements during these different kinds of interactions. So what we need to do as like a next step for comparative psychology is be able to generate a catalog of sorts of different facial muscle movement combinations for other species, including humans, dogs, horses, and so forth. So we don't have a total number right now for humans, but hopefully in the future, these kinds of studies will spark interest and we'll be able to start adding to that catalog and be able to make uh, comparisons with other species. That sounds very exciting. So I, um, as a veterinarian, I've worked on a lot of different species. And I, when you said horses, I initially just thought, wow, they have a really different kind of face. So what role does the anatomy of the face play in being able to have these different expressions? Yeah. So there are some consistencies and underlying facial morphology among species, but there's also very obvious differences too. Now, the interesting thing is that you can have differences in muscle composition or the presence or absence of certain muscles, but you can still get similar kinds of movement. So take, for example, um, being able to wrinkle your nose, right? So humans have certain kinds of facial muscles that allow them to kind of just pull their nostrils back and flare them. 
Now, with cats and dogs, they can produce that exact same movement. However, there's different muscles that underlie the production of that movement. So usually when it comes to acknowledging those differences with facts, what you'll notice is that different kinds of codes are used, but they're grouped based on similarities in the actual movement itself. So nose wrinkler, for example, the ability to flare your nostrils, cats have it, but it's coded as a 109 movement as opposed to a nine, which is the case for humans because there's different muscles that are underlying the production of that movement. So you could have a species that has a face that looks very different, that has different facial muscles attached to it, but you could still have those similar types of movements produced in some cases. But we also know for a fact that there's differences in the total number of movements that animals are capable of producing. Humans have the greatest number of facial muscle movements, and then cats and dogs kind of fall in the intermediate stages with facial muscle mobility and movement. But one of the things that my research lab is interested in is whether or not anatomy is a big constraint on whether or not you're able to produce certain kinds of facial expressions. Because to take information from my other study, gibbons have greater facial mobility than chimps. They can produce a greater number of distinct facial muscle movements, and they have a greater proportion of slow twitch to fast twitch muscle, which allows them to have more fine-tuned facial mobility. But chimps produce a greater number of facial expressions, morphologically distinct ones than gibbons. So anatomy and physiology can shape facial expression repertoires, but also it's just the combinations of those might vary in how they're using those, socially speaking, uh, may differ, which can result in differences in facial expression repertoire size. So have you perceived any correlation between the facial expressions, maybe the number or um, complexity and the intelligence of the species at all? So that's one of the things we're interested in is thinking about other kinds of socio-ecological variables that influence uh, facial expression repertoires. So take, for example, uh, gibbons. Gibbons are actually pretty cognitively complex. They're great problem solvers. They're way better at spatial navigation than I am. <laughs> so they're very smart. They're very intelligent creatures, but they just live in very different kinds of social groups. So gibbons, they live as pair bonded groups, it's usually two adults with their offspring that protect a particular territory. So group sizes are typically smaller than chimpanzees, but gibbons have very close social relationships with individuals because of that small group size, because of the long-term nature of their relationships. So there's other factors we need to consider in the future, such as the quality of relationships, the ability to actually have these interactions from an ecological perspective, how often you see other individuals, how often you're able to interact with them. We also need to think about in terms of the kinds of mechanisms they're using to communicate. So gibbons do a lot of behavioral synchrony where they synchronize their behavior with one another as a way to increase their bond strength. So for gibbons, it actually makes sense to have fewer facial muscle movement combinations because it's easier to synchronize your behavior when you're not guessing what the next expression is going to be. So we also need to think about those underlying cognitive mechanisms that are being used by each animal. And that includes cats as well. So one of the questions we can ask in the future that's been asked for other species is, do cats make use of facial synchrony when communicating with one another? Does that increase their bond strength or are they using alternative mechanisms to engaging that bonding behavior when it comes to communication? That is very fascinating. We have talked about on the show really before how cats really, since they're nonverbal and 
they have developed as part of their relationship with humans, the meowing back at the owner, you know, and that kind of thing. <laughs> so they're very complex and they're very interesting and they're very adaptive. So I think it's so cool that you chose to examine them. So did you get a feeling for how the facial expressions were received by the other cat? Did the other cats seem to know instinctively what the facial expressions were? Yeah, so that's the next step of our research. We're actually going to start working on that this spring with uh, undergraduate students at Lyon College is now going back in and coding the behavioral responses of recipients, but also what the goal of that communicative bout was. Because here's the thing is that we're coding facial expressions based on whether or not they're occurring in affiliative or non-affiliative context. But there's lots of different kinds of goals one can have in mind when initiating a communicative bout, right? So a cat could be communicating, hey, I want you to groom me, or I want to groom you, or I want to start playing rough and tumble style, or I want to switch to chase play. So we're going to go back through the video footage and we're going to code these different potential goals, if the cats have any, when they start communicating with one another. And then the response of the recipient and we're going to use that to be able to understand the more nuanced meaning of these expressions. I love that. You've thought of my questions already and you're going to look <laughs> into them. So yeah. if any of my listeners want to learn more, maybe read the study itself and stuff, how can they find that? Yes. Yeah, so they can find a copy of the current study on the Science Direct webpage. The study was published in the journal Behavioral Processes, and it's called Feline Faces, Unraveling the Social Function of Domestic Cat Facial Signals. And if they want to learn more about upcoming projects or just want to learn more about my other projects with primates or dogs or what have you, they can go to my website, which is Forky, spelled F-L-O-R-K-I-E dot com. Yes, that's awesome. Well, I really thank you for taking the time to explain this to me. It's fascinating, and I wish you good luck in your ongoing study. Oh, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to highlight learning more about cats because I think the more we know, the better we are as the cat's guardians. So yay, I'm happy to get to talk to you. Thank you to all of my listeners. I especially wanted to give a shout out to one of my listeners came up to me at the gas station and told me how much he and his wife enjoy my show. And this is a podcast, so people don't know what I look like. And so that's not a very common occurrence. And it was just really good shout out to him. Thanks to my amazing producer, Mark Winter, because without him, we wouldn't have all of this fun. So I want all of my listeners to go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLightRadio.com.